The great part about challenges is you can start a challenge whenever you want. Hey, it's Monday morning. I'm going to start today. I'm going to challenge myself to eat clean for a week. I'm going to challenge myself to get to bed on time. I'm going to challenge myself to keep my lawn perfect. That inner challenge is a great thing. I'm here to be a catalyst for awe. You are a character in your life. So what kind of story are you telling? Is it any good? Or is it kind of boring? Let's put it to the test. This is Character Test with Joe Bunting. Welcome to Character Test, my podcast about the characters we love and hate in the books we read, the films we watch, and the lives we lead. My name is Joe Bunting, and I'm a best-selling author and the founder of The Right Practice. And I'm Alice Sudlow. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Right Practice and a StoryGrid certified editor. As always today, we're going to start today's episode by putting a character to the test. Alice and I look at a character in a book we're reading or film we're watching and ask, is this actually a good character? And also, what can we learn from that character. Which character are we talking about today, Alice? We're talking about Marta Cabrera from Knives Out. After that, we're talking to Gary Scope. We're doing something a bit different today and talking to a non-author, non-filmmaker. Gary Scope is a high school football coach and high school wrestling coach. In 2019, one of his wrestlers won the state wrestling championship in Michigan. When we're talking about how to live a good story, sometimes that involves competition. Many good stories are about winning and knowing how to win and how to think about competing so that you can win can be an important part of living a good story. We also talk about how to lead others to win and if you're a parent, how to help your children have a healthy relationship with competition. The last part of our show is our character study, where we ask what we can learn in our own lives as we try to live a better story. All right, Alice, it's time for the character test portion of our show. Today, we're examining Marta Cabrera from Knives Out. Can you tell us a little bit about the story? Yes, and I always try to avoid spoilers for things that are recent. In this one, it's a good bit harder because a lot of the interesting character revealing decisions early on, even those are spoiler ridden. So if you want a totally clean viewing of Knives Out, I got to warn you, this is not going to be it for you. It sounds like a very twisty, turny movie, like with a lot of big reveals. There are a lot of big reveals and they start like, I'd say you start with small to medium sized reveals within like five or 10 minutes of the start of the movie. So if I tried to hide all of the twists, we really couldn't have a conversation. But that said, there are lots and lots of twists towards the end of the movie that I'm not going to talk about. So there will still be some. Few. I can see how You're only going to ruin the first like 10 minutes of the movie for us. I'd say probably like maybe the first 20. Oh, good. Yeah. How long is the movie? I forget what. How long is a movie? An hour and a half? Like, two yeah. hours? Somewhere in that range. Your it's typical... like 15%, 25% of the yeah. movie you're going to ruin. Yeah. Perfect. No yeah, not <laughs> more than 25%. So here's our synopsis, which is possibly the most spoiler-free part of my analysis. Knives Out is a whodunit starring Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, and Ana de Armas, who plays the character that we're testing, Marta Cabrera. She's the nurse of Harlan Thromby, who's a celebrated mystery writer and the aging patriarch of the Thromby family. 
The Thrombies gather at his estate to celebrate his 85th birthday, but afterwards Harlan is found dead in his room. So Detective Benoit Blanc comes to investigate and takes a special interest in Marta. As Harlan's nurse, she was both the person closest to him and an outsider within this family, and she knows more than anyone else, more even than she lets on to him. And then she has to determine when and how and with whom to share what she knows. So why did you choose this character to test? I thought this was a really great movie. I mean, I'll admit, I don't watch a ton of whodunits, so I don't have the broadest basis for comparison, but I really did enjoy this movie. You learn pretty early on a lot of information about what happened, and so then there's kind of this conflicting plot to try not to solve the mystery in the middle of this murder mystery movie, and Marta herself is a fascinating character. For one, they gave her this interesting quirk where she can't lie without throwing up, and so she kind of ends up being this human lie detector throughout the movie, and she ends up having a lot of influence over how everything will shake out. So she as a character specifically is a really interesting character to talk about, I think. It actually reminds me a little bit of Gosford Park, just how you're talking. I haven't seen it yet, but there's this like upstairs, downstairs, the people who are downstairs yeah. have a ton of influence that you wouldn't expect, even though they technically have less power. It's just interesting. For sure. Yeah. And how those power dynamics kind of develop over the course of the movie is a really interesting part of it. All right. Well, let's put Marta Cabrera to the test using our four criteria for what makes an interesting character starting with her goal. Does Marta have a goal? And what is that goal? She does have a goal, but I'll warn you, this is where the spoilers are coming in. In order to tell you what it is, I have to spoil the first major twist. Like I said, there are a ton more twists in this movie, and this one is within the first like 20 minutes. So I think you'll still enjoy it. But this is your moment to skip ahead if you want to do that. So here goes. Marta Cabrera was the only person in the room when Harlan Thrombey died. She knows exactly what happened in those last few minutes. It's so exciting. You're like gasping over here in the uh, middle of my discussion. It's I'm just, I can't wait to see this. <laughs> okay. I'm glad that this is heightening the suspense here. She knows exactly what happened in those last few minutes of his life. And even though she really cared about Harlan and has the least obvious motive to kill him, it would be really easy to pin this on her. And if she's found to be the murderer, then she will not only lose her nursing license and go to jail, but her mom, who is undocumented, will be deported. So for her, the stakes are really high. And so her goal is to conceal what she knows about the murder because her bigger goal is to protect herself and especially to protect her mom. So even though she really cares about Harlan and she really wants the truth about him to be known, she can't let the truth about her presence be known. And that's her goal is this self-protection. Got it. That's really good. So that's Marta's goal. Does Marta have to overcome challenges to accomplish that goal? What are some of those challenges? So she actually has this major asset in her goal of concealing what she knows. Before he died, Harlan, who, like I said, is this fantastic mystery writer, told her exactly what to do to hide her presence. So her obstacle here is that she's got these very clear instructions for him, but she would be a terrible spy, which is to say that she really struggles to follow these instructions to the level of detail and effectiveness that it would actually take to hide from a very high-level detective. She's good, but she's not that good to escape detection at every point. Plus, she has that fun quirk of being unable to lie without throwing up, which is not a convenient character trait when you're trying to conceal a big truth about a murder. And when you've got a master detective on your tail, it's not particularly helpful. And then on top of all of this, 
the detective kind of takes her under his wing and asks for her help throughout the investigation. So she can't just fly under the radar either. She's right there front and center through the entire movie. Wow. Very interesting. All right. Good characters make decisions. Does Marta make decisions? Can you point to one of them? She makes a ton of decisions and there's a lot riding on her decisions. So all of them are very stressful and very engaging and very entertaining. And it makes for a really fun story. I'll point to the first major decision she makes in the movie, which is tied in with what I've already said, but probably the biggest spoiler I'll give you. When she and Harlan realize that he's about to die, he gives her this very specific set of instructions on what to do that will allow her to conceal her presence and outwit any investigators. And she has to decide then whether she's going to follow his instructions. If she does, she's not sure she'll actually be able to outwit anyone, and she might make a mistake, and it might make everything worse. But if she doesn't, she'll definitely be framed for his murder, and she'll lose everything. So she decides to follow his instructions. And that's a major and bold and scary decision. And what also makes her stand out throughout this movie is that the way that she makes decisions is very different from how anyone in the Thrombi family would make them. It's according to a very different set of motivations, a different moral code, and it's a very important difference, and it makes her character distinctive in this movie. So everyone throughout this movie is making a lot of decisions, but her way of making decisions stands out from the crowd. Wow. Is Marta empathizable? I would say yes. She's incredibly compassionate, which, again, is something that stands out among this family of rich people who are all very self-serving and who are infighting over who will get what in Harlan's will. Of all of them, she's the one who cares most about relationships and about people and other individuals beside herself. So she's really easy to attach to as a viewer. We're rooting for her right away, which is the point. We've got to care about her as a character, and we do. Well, it definitely sounds like it's a clear pass as far as Marta is concerned, and it sounds like a really fun film. So last thing, what can we as the reader or viewer learn from Marta? So there is a really wonderful lesson about Marta right at the end of the movie. And in fact, it's spelled out by the detective as well, but that really would be a major spoiler. So I hesitate to actually give you that lesson. Uh, it's great. It's worth watching the movie for. I enjoyed it. But I will say this for our lesson. Marta does not really believe that she has what this is going to take. When she's first presented with Harlan's plan, she's sure that she's not up for the challenge. But she's in a really tight spot with really high stakes, and so she doesn't have much of a choice. And again and again and again throughout this movie, she's put in these tight spots, having to make tough decisions that have a lot of moral weight to them, a lot of personal consequences to them, a lot of consequences for other people that she cares about. And even when she's sure that she can't do it, she keeps going and she keeps moving forward and she stays true to herself and her character in the process. And the lesson that I'll pull from that is that we are capable of more than we believe we are. We might think that we would crumble under pressure, and I'm sure there's an amount of pressure where we would crumble, but there's a whole lot of pressure before then that we don't necessarily give ourselves credit for, that we don't necessarily believe or even have the opportunity to know that we could withstand it. And I think that that's a great reason to take courage, that we are capable of more than we even know, and we have more capacity to persevere and to survive and to hold on to ourselves and what we value in the face of really remarkable odds. Awesome. Well, that's it for Marta. Let's get right into our interview with Gary. All right. Well, welcome, Gary Scope, to the Character Test Show. It's great to have you. Oh, it's great to be here. 
So in this podcast, we talk about how to live a great story. And I think an important part of many stories and books and films is winning, really. And to think about how to win, I wanted to bring you in because in our conversations over the years, I've been really impressed by how strategic you are, both from how you yourself compete and how you coach others to compete and even how you parent your kids to be competitors. So why don't we start at the beginning? You grew up in Michigan, right? Right. Where in Michigan did you grow up? Right outside Detroit. We're a little bit north. Have you ever seen the movie Eight Mile mm-hmm. with Eminem? That you know, Eminem's claim to fame is his hometown was Warren. That's where I'm from. Wow. You and Eminem. Yeah, yeah. He got a little bit farther in life than I did, but you know, it still works. <laughs> so you were a wrestler in high school. Correct. Right. And you qualified twice yep. as a state champion wrestler. Well, not state champ. You know, we made the state tournament. Okay. You know, I, I did a whole, you know, I played football, wrestled, did track, you know, kind of any sport around. That was my gig. Everything. Yeah. So I know very little about wrestling. So like, how did that work? Like, how were you ranked in the state of Michigan? Like, were you fighting in a, or wrestling in a weight class? I've always been a big dude. So I wrestled heavyweight, which was the limit was 285. I'd walk around like 240. So you can wrestle anybody from 216 pounds all the way up to 285. Wow. And how many people were you competing against in the state? Lots. So I went to a fairly large high school. Every team at least had one. Tons of kids, but every week there was, we'd get 40 matches in a season, 50 matches, just wow. kind of dependent. Wow. So what was unique about you? Why were you so good? Were you bigger? Were you better prepared? What made you successful? I was always strong. I grew up strong, but I mean, I think the biggest thing was we grew up playing, you know, every day in the summertime, it was, you know, as soon as the sun came up, you'd be running outside and if it was a bat, a racket, a basketball, a football, whatever, from sunup till sundown, just the kids in the neighborhood played every day Mm. and every day was a competition. You know, Mm. even though it was a pickup game, you didn't want to lose. You didn't want to have bragging rights for the next 10 minutes. It was fun way of growing up. So I think that really drove me to push myself hard every day and everything we do was just make it a competition, make it fun, make it worthwhile, make it something you want to do. So you were always competing? Always, from a young age on. On the streets of 8 Mile? Yeah, we're a little bit north of 8 Mile. <laughs> I grew up on 14 Mile, so you know we're okay. far enough away. <laughs> okay. So what did training look like for you when you were a wrestler and how did you try to out-train your peers? I had really amazing coaches in my life that kind of steered me. A lot of weight room work. It's kind of built me up for who I am now. How so? Anything that goes wrong in life, I can take a step back and go throw a whole bunch of weight on a bar and push it around and just Mm. kind of let the world go by. You know, if my grades weren't where they should be, I get frustrated, you go in the weight room. If Mm. parents are on your back because you can't clean your room, go in the weight room. You know, I just kind of use that as an outlet which just made me get stronger and stronger and stronger. What was some of the best advice from those coaches that you got? It was just a culmination of everything. Just really teach me how to be a man, how not to Mm. quit. You know, you might not be able to push the bar this time, but you keep trying, you keep trying, and eventually it's going to go up. And you kind of use that in life. You know, I might not be able to do something right now, but I'm not going to quit. I'm going to push forward until that, you know, gets done. Hmm. Yeah, I think you, I was feeling 
discouraged about something and we were having a conversation and I, you know, told you I was feeling discouraged about this thing that was going on with my work. I remember you told me, just keep grinding. That's how I live my life. And that was encouraging for me. So can you talk more about that philosophy for you? I love that saying because, you know, life is a grind. I mean, it's never going to be all ups. You're going to have your down times, whether it's marriage, whether it's kids, whether it's, you know, family work, no matter what comes up. I mean, it's not going to be all puppy dogs and roses. You know, it's going to suck. And you could quit. You can fold, be living on the streets or doing whatever you got to do. But, you know, you push through and just grind it out because eventually it's going to come up. Hmm. Kind of that tenacity and resiliency, just keeping going, even when it's hard. When was a time in your life when you were not experiencing success and you kept grinding and then you had a breakthrough? It's just little losses, you know, little things. And sometimes little things can derail you. You know, it's, I don't win a match here. I don't win a game here. And you could easily give up and say, you know, what I'm doing is okay, but you're never going to get better. You know, if I lose a game, a match, you know, if I'm playing checkers with my daughter and I lose, you know, there's always something I can take from it and there's always something I can learn. And it's my choice whether I take that and run or I take that and fold. So one of the things that I think it's important to get out in the open is that the reason that we know each other is through actually a video game, not a cool yes. video game like Fortnite or oh, Call no, of it's Duty. Cool. It's so much better. <laughs> so much better. It's better and it may be a little bit nerdy and awesome game called Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. And we have been in the same guild and a guild is kind of like a group that works together. We've been in the same guild for over two years, which is... Hasn't been longer than that. I think at least two and a half years. It might, yeah, something. might, it might be, be closer three. to three. Yeah. Almost, which is both awesome and embarrassing. <laughs> and we are really good, like, especially considering we're not all spending money on the game, you know, without getting too much into the details. It takes a lot of work and strategy to be good without spending a lot of money. And so, you know, we compete on a daily basis in this game and we win a lot. We do. And I like it because we don't just compete against other people. We're competing amongst ourselves in the guild. The trash talking, the, you know, just the <laughs> core group that's kind of been together. You know, hey, somebody's got something and doing something. Everybody else better step up. Yeah. And one of the things I really appreciate about you is how kind of sneaky you are. You no. try to win. Yes. You try <laughs> to win, not just by working harder, which you do do, but also by figuring out the rules and creating a strategy to outsmart your opponents. So coming back to wrestling and maybe even as a coach, did you have any strategies like that when you were wrestling that were kind of sneaky? They were about figuring out how the game worked and then applying those things to your competition. Oh, everything's about finding that rules. I want to find that loophole. I want to find that gray area and maybe dip a toe into the water a little bit to see how far you can go. It's pushing the limit of what I can do. It's mm. what I can coach. You guys made the rules. I'm going to find this and, you know, I'm going to walk that edge to get everything I can out of it. Yeah, I love that. So what's an example? We had a parent that was on the Biggest Loser show a while back when I was mm -hmm. at a different high school. She made it to the finals wow. and came back home and asked our strength conditioning coach to train her. I was coaching wrestling at the time. 
So she asked me to kind of work with her diet and wrestling wise. So I asked for a copy of the rule book and she gave it and I kind of read through and I saw the way they were doing some things and found some loopholes here and there to push the limit of how far she can go. She ended up winning the show. Wow. Blowing her total weight loss total out of the water for what they were comfortable with. After that season, they kind of changed some rules. I think they figured out what I had her do <laughs> and kind of adjusted the show for some of the things we were doing with her. Wow. That's so interesting. It was a fun time. So what about in football? What are some ways that you uh, work with the rules? The game is ever evolving. Offense, defenses, you know, just what they're doing to strategize to keep kids safe. And yeah. you know, when it comes to safety, I never flex the rules, but yeah. when it comes to offense, defense, you know, with offense, they have illegal man downfield plays. Well, you know, you get a yard and a half and we'll work it. So we take three or four and misdirect. So the referees are looking other places to, you know, get that advantage and just little things like that. It, it's not super breaking the rules, but you know, like I said, it's a tone of water. Creatively bending the rules. Yes, yes, yes. It's a great way to say it. <laughs> now, what about wrestling? How did you work the rules in wrestling? So you knowing me, I'm a very friendly person. I like talking and, you know, I get to know the referees and stuff when we're not in matches and I'll start chatting them up and get them to be like, hey, this guy's a really nice guy. He's on our page. And, you know, when it comes time for matches and everything's a judgment call and they look over, you know, hey, ref, I think that was a takedown. You know, I make them second guess themselves and usually I can get them to kind of see things that may or may not have happened, but, you know, kind of help us out a lot. Wow. So using relationship, which is not, you know, part of the rules at all. It's playing in that gray area. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And I think relationship is something I think a lot about in terms of success and career. And if you can make friends with the refs and make them see your side of things a little bit more you know, that can be an advantage. Definitely. I think it's huge. I mean, people don't, no matter if it's sports or just general life, relationships are so much a part of everything we do that you can be the guy that everybody hates. You can be the guy that everybody loves. You can be that guy in the middle that, you know, kind of goes back and forth. Hmm. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting to talk about, you know, a decision that you made as you're coaching your football program. So you're the head coach of this football program. And, you know, you realized that the culture in your team was turning kind of negative and that there were some bad apples in the group that were kind of bringing the attitude down. And so you made the decision to kick off a bunch of kids who were not contributing to the good culture that you wanted to create. And that was a hard decision, right? Kept me up a lot of nights. I mean, it's hard to I try to pride myself on not giving up on kids. You know, our kids are going to be our future and push. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's also year after year, we're trying to teach these kids right and wrong, and they still don't want to get it. They're doing things purposely to put themselves out of the way. And it was really hard to say, hey, you know what? For the betterment of everybody else, you know, it's time for you to move on, do something else. It did. It was a real hard time in my life because I've never had to face that before. Mm. And I could easily fold and said, hey, you know, we're just going to bear with it. But I just couldn't do that. Yeah. And that led to you having a losing season last year yep. for the first time, you said, in 23 years of coaching. 23 years. Yeah, that was hard. Which probably wasn't an easy thing to experience. 
that was terrible. And cause I knew the first person that was going to let me know I had a losing season was my father who oh, wow. is my biggest cheerleader, but also one of my biggest critics. And, you know, I knew the taunting would come on for a while in a fun way, but that was rough. And then this year you kind of did that again and, and you, you know, didn't allow a bunch of players to come back or play and just trying to build a strong culture and, and you still didn't have like a great season, right? No. So we ended up, uh, most games we were starting eight to 10 sophomores, which is really young, but we got to have fun at practice. We got to enjoy the game. We got to kind of bring life back to that stagnant feeling. It, it was days it was hard to go to practice before. We were competitive in every game. We were putting up a lot of points, but it was just fun. It mm. was that different feeling. It was getting back to what it should be. You know, thinking back, I'm really glad I decided to do what I did. So now, when you made that decision to choose the culture of your team over, you know, short-term winning, did you get pushback from other coaches, from the school, from parents? Parents a little bit. Our school, I'm blessed to be very supported in everything we do. We've, you know, when I took over, it was a losing culture. They didn't know how to win. We came, came in, breathed some life into the program. Everybody's been super supportive of what we do. They kind of know what we're about, who we are. And everybody got on board pretty quick. The parents of the kids that didn't come back didn't like it so much. But, yeah, you know, it's, I made them understand, hey, this is a choice your son made. You know, this is something we've been trying. You can see that. So, yeah. Did you second guess yourself when you started losing games? Um, that first season I did. That was hard. You know, how you've been successful your whole time and all of a sudden, you know, you're losing games. There were some other things that happened that year that kind of added to it. So it was a very tough season and kind of everything piled on. But, you know, I try to get rid of the second guessing as fast as I can. Like I'm doing this for the right reason. You know, we're doing this for the betterment of the program. We're doing this for the betterment of the kids that are on board. I try to put that in the back of my mind. Yeah. And long term, you know, that will probably lead to a much more successful program, a team two or three years from now. Oh, yeah. It's been great. Even after the season, you know, I got kids begging me to stay after school to do more work. You know, it's, it's, it's getting back to where it needs to be. And it's very refreshing. This episode is brought to you by The Right Practice Pro. The Right Practice Pro is an amazing community of creative writers where you can post your writing, get feedback on it, and figure out how to turn your writing into beautiful, award-winning books, short stories, or novels. I personally post my own writing to this community to get feedback. And if you have any interest in becoming a published, award-winning writer, you should too. The Right Practice Pro is for anyone writing a book, novel, short story, or poem, or anyone who just wants to improve their creative writing. If you want to become a better writer, getting good feedback is something you must invest in. And the Right Practice Pro is the best place to get it. You can sign up for the Right Practice Pro at therightpractice.com slash join. So one of the things that you've done is uh, last year, you were the head wrestling coach and one of your students won the state championship did. Uh, of wrestling. He's a kid I started working with knowing when he was in middle school, just kind of see him hang around in some other places we're at, working with him then. Came to the high school, 
since a freshman. He had some struggles with another coach we had there, and my job was kind of step in and be the buffer. And he ended up being a state champ last year, undefeated, one of the most dominant kids I've seen in a long time. Wow. Now, was that because he was, you know, physically better, just like in his genes, he just had the talent and the right body type? Was it because he worked harder? Was it because he kind of thought differently about wrestling? Why was he so successful? Genes plays a big part of it, but I've seen many kids that were just absolute gift from God set up to do it, absolutely fail because mentally they weren't tough enough. And I feel, in, you know, my role as a coach is to get that mental part, you know, yeah. I can get them stronger in the weight room. We can make them try to run a little bit faster, but you know, if the kid is a mental midget, we like to use a lot, you know, there's not much you can do for that. So, you know, we kind of got in his head. We talked about the way he trains, his diet, you know, every aspect of what he wants to do. We kind of tweaked for him, gave him a roadmap, kind of showed him where to go. And he took it and ran. So a lot of that is preparation you know, diet, exercise, training, what kinds of like in-game strategies did you give him from a mental perspective? So he was at another level than most kids. So, you know, he could go into a match and pin a kid in six seconds and, you know, really wouldn't get anything out of it. So we would turn those matches into, all right, we're going to work conditioning. So we'd make him, you know, not go out and just pin a kid real fast. We'd make him wrestle four or five minutes to work his cardio We'd work on a move set for an opponent we know that's coming up. We make him hit 20 of those in the match and give him specific goals going in to, you know, better himself for the future, not just for the immediate. Wow. So he could go in and dominate, but then when he got to a really hard match, you know, might be less prepared. And so your job was to help him prepare even in the matches where he could dominate. Oh, yeah you gain nothing out of you're going to embarrass the other kid. You might make that kid never want to do this again. And he, you know, who knows what he could do, hmm. but we want to get everything out of it. If we're going to use it, we're going to use it like a practice hmm. or, you know, work on something that he's lacking at that moment to set himself up for the future. Hmm. So what is it about challenges that help people grow? You know, so much about this is like challenging yourself to become stronger, mentally stronger, you know, how do you create challenges for people to help them become better in an area? So we did a challenge a little bit ago where I challenged a whole bunch of people to push themselves for 30 days. You know, some people stuck with it. Some quit after a couple of days. I won't say <laughs> who specifically, but I, I feel like you're trying to make a point here. <laughs> So I challenged a group of guys for 30 days. You got to do a hundred bicep curls or and a hundred tricep extensions. In my head, it was really hard, but I felt like, you know, this is something where, you know, I'm going to be sore every day. I'm going to hurt, but it's good for me. You know, it's getting through that mental block that, you know, I've never been able to push through before to do it. And it was kind of challenging myself too. So mm -hmm. every time I saw somebody posting, Hey, I got my hundred in. I'd look, I'd be like, okay, did you do yours today? Nope. Okay. Get your butt up and go. And it made me better. Yeah. So with coaching, I kind of throw that at kids. I'm not going to ask a kid to do anything I've never done mm. or I wouldn't do. Mm. Everything's a challenge mm. because I could walk through life and it would be just kind of really nice and simple, but I want challenges. I don't want everything to be easy. Yeah. I want to push. I want to, you know, I want to have to think about something. I want to have to work for something. I want to have to earn something. 
you know, I hate to say it, even with my kids now, I start seeing participation trophies and things that are just given out and it drives me crazy. Mm. So I love challenges. I think challenges are great for people. I mean, that's why we're here. Yeah. How can you be great if you're not challenged? Yeah. Well, I definitely felt challenged the six days that I did that challenge. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got into the middle of a book launch and all of a sudden I found that I was not doing my hundred. Uh, (laughs) But hopefully the next challenge, it, it will be a better season in life where I can truly meet that challenge. That's great. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, you know, the great part about challenges is you can start a challenge whenever you want. You know, yeah. it's, hey, it's Monday morning. I'm going to start today. I'm going to challenge myself to eat clean for a week. I'm going to challenge myself to get to bed on time. I'm going to challenge, you know, myself to keep my lawn perfect. I mean, whatever it is, you know, that inner challenge is a great thing. I think it's great for people. Hmm. So I think that's a good segue into talking about parenting and how to kind of lead your kids to compete well. You're a dad of three kids like me. Two of your kids are seven, right? One seven. My daughter's seven. seven, And then I got boy, girl, four-year-old twins. Okay. Right. So your older daughter is seven and she's very serious about competitive cheerleading, right? Yes, yes. That took me a little bit to get used to. (laughs) And one is into gymnastics and now wrestling. And at one point we had a conversation about something pretty simple, how to choose like which program, which gymnastics program to put your kids in. And I thought the way that you thought about that was really interesting. So how did you choose which gymnastics program to put your son in? I did a lot of research. I don't want to just find some like little kitty where they come in and sit them down and they slap them mat a little bit and teach them somersaults. I looked for a gymnastics place that had, you know, national champions and state champions and pushing kids far. I looked at what their program entailed. You know, I, I know my kids were young, but I want him to get something out of it. You know, I can teach my kid how to do a somersault, but I can't teach him how to do a back handspring or walk a balance beam or do these kind of things. So I did my research. I I want, you know, if my kid's going to be a gymnast for the rest of his life, I will back him a thousand percent, but I want him to have the best of the best. And that's kind of what we look for. So you went on Google. Yep. And you looked at however many gymnastics program are within like 20 miles of your house. Is that right? Or did you go farther? We went farther. Yeah, we were looking all around. I'll drive. It's okay. I'll drive. It's worth it. (laughs) So how far out did you look? Like, what was your radius? I think we looked kind of, you know, living in the Metro Detroit area, everything's within an hour. We kind of looked in that radius, you know, kind of around. I didn't want to go more than an hour just with traffic and that kind of thing would be too much being that young. We finally settled on a place that during rush hours, about 45 minutes away, not rush hours, 20. Okay. You know, we looked, we looked at everyone. Wow. And so you looked and you were on their webpage or whatever, and you went to their about page and you saw, you like, how many championships has this won? Like, who are their top performers? How did that work? So, you know, I initially looked and saw that they had national competitors, they had state level competitors. I looked at their coaching. What is their coaching background? You know, did they compete themselves? Because I love the fact that, you know, any fool could teach anything, but did you have that experience? 
and they just kind of checked all those boxes and talked to my wife. My wife started asking some of her friends. We just kept, you know, I want the rave reviews. I want firsthand experience. I, I want to do my research before we start yeah. really throwing money and time at this. Sure. And how did that go for your son? Like, did it work out for him? He went from a clumsy little two-year-old to uh, after the first couple of weeks, he, he decided he was going to start doing somersaults off the top of the kitchen table. <laughs> Just kind of took the fear out of everything. You yeah. know, I think he became a better athlete. He was able to control his body. You know, he's learning things at such a young age that will kind of stick with him for the rest of his life. Yeah. You know, he's kind of moved away from gymnastics a little bit. We just started him off in wrestling. So at four years old, you know, he's wrestling other four-year-olds at practice. And my son is surprisingly hyper-aggressive. So, yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) I don't know where that comes from. I think it's my wife. (laughs) And it's the things he learned there that, you know, the couple years he was doing it kind of translate into that sport. Hmm. He's got... You know, he gained some strength from having to pull himself up on monkey bars and claw himself across to, you know, being able to grab a leg and throw a kid down and jump on top and hold him down. Yeah. And when you got your daughter into competitive cheerleading, did you do the same process? Same exact thing. This one kind of worked out. We found a place that was a couple miles away. Um, They had really good results. They, They were producing regional champs, state champs, and really good things. I ended up knowing a couple kids at my other school that went through their program, asked them, what did you think? Do these coaches push you or do they kind of let you just kind of go? And they give you that look like, oh, it's rough. And that's kind of what I was looking for. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting. I mean, I found for my sons, I have a six-year-old son and a four-year-old son. Both of them want to compete. Both of them think that they are the best until they realize that they're not. They want to compete. But what I've also found is that sometimes when I've tried to help them or challenge them in an area or push them, they lose interest. And of course, you know, our kids are young, but there's this tension here about when to push or even when to like teach them, when to get involved at any level and when to let them kind of figure out themselves what they want and what they want to do. So how have you navigated that tension as a father? So I know the way I am. My wife and I talked about this and I told her that I could never coach my kids. So I find people that pretty much have the same values as Mm -hmm. I do and same kind of work ethic and same kind of mindset. So when my son goes to wrestling, you know, I might be there because it's a program I started. One of my great friends is running it. I step off to the side and I let him take my son. Mm, I go work yeah. with another group or whatever it might be because I've seen too many bad relationships that that dad role, that coach role never stops. So you get in the car after a competition, you know, are you coach? Are you dad? You know, you get home, are you coach? Are you dad? And I've seen a lot of relationships get ruined that way. And I just know that I don't want to put myself in that spot because I don't know how to stop. Mm. So you know, with my daughter, my wife takes her to cheerleading. I'm there supporting her. You know, she's had a regional competition last weekend and me and one of my best friends are the loudest idiots in the crowd yelling and screaming (laughs) for them, you know, being super supportive. But I know that the people we've set them up with are going to push them to make them be at that spot. That's good. So you're not coaching them at all. You're just supporting them and cheering from them for them sidelines. And if they make a mistake and you know that they made a mistake, like what do you do? So we have a conversation about it. You know, my son 
his first time wrestling, you know, he wanted to screw around a little bit. So we just kind of pull aside, hey, this is what we're looking for. This is what we want. You know, this is what I need you to do. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to scream at you. I'm not going to be that, you know, Friday Night Tykes on Netflix dad that's yeah. all up in there. This is what we want. This is what you want to do. You want to wrestle. You want to show up every week. These are the expectations. Yeah. You know, my daughter is hypersensitive. If she makes a mistake at cheerleading, she's the first one in tears. It's my job to lift her spirits, get her back. Okay, this is what you screwed up. How about we take some time and we work on it at home? You know, real low key. You know, you can't do your little bridge or your cartwheel, whatever. Well, let's do a couple. Let's see how it is. And, you know, I'll be her biggest cheerleader there. Hey, that was good. That was great. You know, this is what we need to fix. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. You got this. And I think that support is huge. Mm. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, we want to see our kids succeed. We want to see them win. Uh, but we also, you know, don't want to be that dad. And that's hard. It's so yeah. hard. And also, we want them to want to do it too. Yes. You know? I so how do you keep them interested? Like if your son came to you and said, I don't want to wrestle anymore. I want to go back to gymnastics or I want to go do something else. What would you say? So if he's in the season, he's going to finish the season. You know, we don't quit things, you know, finish what you start and that's fine. Next season, you want to do gymnastics instead, then let's go find a good gymnastics coach. Let's do something. You know, if your heart's not in it, then, you know, why are you doing it? Mm. You know, I think that's big. Yeah. There's too many people, you know, still they're 40, 50 years old working jobs they hate every day. Why? There's a lot of things out there and it's scary to change, but finish what you start and then find something else. It's mm. good. Well, Gary, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate having me. I mean, it's not often I can talk to a world famous writer. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this has been great. And You're blushing a little bit though. I, mm. I I'm blushing a little bit. Well, one thing we have not told everyone is that we are both drinking White Claw. You probably finished yours like 20 minutes ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. it was kind of a competition between me and you. I got three down, so. What? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I haven't even finished one. Flacking. <laughs> See, it's always a competition. Yeah. Well, cheers to you and have a cheers, good rest buddy. of your day. Thank you we'll so talk much. Soon. We'll see ya. All right, let's get into our character study segment of the show. This is where we ask what we can learn from Gary's story and apply to our own lives as we try to live a better story. All right, Alice, what was your takeaway? He talked a lot about challenges and of how he is not really satisfied with just accepting things that are easy in life and how when he was training with that kid who could dominate, he focused on uh, using the easy things since there were so many easy things as opportunities to prepare for hard things, to add challenge into that and make sure that no matter what he was working on, there was always a level of challenge there. Because he was talking about how can you be great if you're not challenged, and I think that there's a lot of truth to that. And I also really liked how he extrapolated that to practically in our own lives every day. You don't have to wait to be training to wrestle in order to find opportunities for challenge. You can start a challenge whenever you want. You can create your own inner challenge. And he gave some examples of things like going to bed on time. And I was sitting there thinking, wow, how would my life change if I went to bed on time? That'd be amazing. You can start a challenge whenever you want. And that's always an opportunity that we have to make sure that we are continually growing and continually moving forward. 
Yeah, I thought it was so interesting how he talked about growing in mental toughness. I think too often we look for things that will be easy, that we can easily win at, the things that we're already really good at, and just trying to focus all our energies there so that we aren't challenged. And like we talked about last week with Seth, he talked about, you know, comfort is a continuum. And on the other side is risk. I think you could say the same thing. The other side is challenge. And it's really through those challenges and through taking risk with the chance of failure that you open yourself up to the possibility of growth, growing as a person, growing as a character, increasing the size of your life and making your life bigger and better. And yeah, I just love the idea of using a simple challenge to give yourself a chance to grow. I think that's so great. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes there are circumstances in our lives that we don't necessarily have control over. They come up and they crop up and they challenge us. But there are so many opportunities for us to choose that in our lives as well. Like all of the kids that he's training in football and in wrestling, they chose that challenge. They set themselves up for a year committed to a season of a sport. And I also liked what he said about not quitting, about how if you're not into it, if you're not invested in it, then he will let his kids quit after they finish the year. If they're not invested in it, why continue in something that you are not enthusiastic about, that your heart's not in? But first, you're going to complete the commitment that you made to it, which is its own kind of challenge. They've set themselves up for a challenge, and they're going to follow through on that challenge. Yeah, it makes me think that, you know, winning is important. Winning is helpful. Winning is fun. But as he did, he sacrificed winning in the short term for growing a better program and growing a better team. And I think we have to prioritize growth over winning, you know, and you can be winning and not be growing. And if you're not growing and you're winning, like eventually you're going to get into a situation where you can't win. Like, you know, you're stuck. It's a challenge that's beyond you. And if you're not used to growing and having kind of that mental toughness, you're going to be in trouble. And so by prioritizing growth rather than winning, I think you can do a lot better. And I think that's true, like as we were talking about in parenting, you know, prioritizing, you know, your children's growth rather than raising a, you know, superstar athlete or whatever that means, but just prioritizing their growth and and your relationship with them, I think is a good strategy. Yeah, for sure. And I think that in that tension between growth and winning, you can be winning and you can be growing, but you can be growing in a lot of negative ways. Mm. And it sounds like a lot of those attributes of his team at the time were actually growing and perpetuating some negative and toxic attitudes or behaviors or cycles. And it was recognizing what do they really want to grow and what are the positive things that they want to become that he was able to kind of Mm -hmm. shift that trajectory, which meant sacrificing winning for a time. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, it means that ultimately they're able to return to winning and have both the growth and the winning together. That'd be the most internally and externally satisfactory. But if we can only pick one, the internal satisfaction, it's really appealing. Yep. Agreed. All right. So that's your character test challenge. Think of a way to challenge yourself this week, preferably in an area that you're comfortable 
in right now or that's easy. And then start the challenge. Do it for at least a week. Once you're done, send us an email letting us know how it goes over at charactertestshow at gmail.com. Good luck. And that's it. That's our show. Thanks to Pictures of the Floating World for our theme music. Have a great week, everyone.